Good morning, LCM. Good morning. Today is Sunday, February 13th, 2022. As two of your shepherds, we want to draw your attention to the serious nature of the times that we are in. We don't mean the ridiculous nature of the daily activities of our own regime in Washington, D.C. We don't even mean the tyrannical nature of the daily news from Ottawa, Canada. We don't mean the despotic dilemma on the border of Ukraine and Russia or the serious human rights violations and dictator domination that we see coming from China. We're actually talking to you today about the serious nature of our times here at LCM. Yes. Turn with me immediately to John chapter 9, and we're going to look at verses 3 through 5. Say there as you are turning. John 9 and verses 3 through 5 says this. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Talking about the man who had been born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened. Oh, don't you want to know why this happened? This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. A lifetime of blindness was actually something that God intended that his glory, that the works of God might be displayed in this blind man. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. I'm going to read that again because you might be like me and missed it the first time. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Church, we are in a serious time. We are in a time where we all must. Everybody say must. Must. We must see our difficulties, our trials, our obstacles is happening so that the works of God might be displayed in us. When our kids are having seizures, when we're having Serious plumbing problems at a church. When you're having accidents in vehicles. When you are going through what you are going through. Come on, where's Paul Rosales today? When you are going through what you're going through, it is a sign that God's works are being displayed in us. Church, we are children of the day. We are children of the light. There's a time coming when we will not be able to work. But while it is today... While it is right now, we must do the works of him who sent us. Church, are you ready to get to work this morning? This morning we are going to do the works ordained by our heavenly father. And this morning we're going to take you on a journey. You ready to go? A journey that will highlight areas of the word that you have never considered. You will learn new facets of the gem of God's word. You will engage with concepts that you thought you were familiar with, but will come alive in new and supernatural ways. Today. Everybody say today. Today. Today you have the opportunity to be forever changed by the power of the word and spirit at work in us. This morning, we're going to take you on a journey through the book of Amos. Everyone turn with us to Amos chapter 1. We'll start with verse 1. Amos chapter 1 verse 1. The words 
of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa. The vision he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. Our journey this morning begins with the discovery that Amos is one of the shepherds. One of the shepherds in a village named Dekoa. Dekoa is located south of Jerusalem in the southern half of Israel known as Judah at this time. The man who was once identified by his role as a shepherd is now receiving visions from the Lord. And not just receiving visions, he is now speaking on the Lord's behalf what these visions mean to the people of God. In fact, the time frame announced here, it places the ministry of Amos several decades prior to the Assyrian invasion of the northern kingdom of Israel. And Amos' message is convicting. It is searing. It was intended to cut each man right down to the heart. This time period saw the two kingdoms that made up the house of God, gaining in wealth and regional prominence, and so too were they gaining in disobedience and wickedness. Prominence and wealth led to disobedience and wickedness. Amos begins his ministry by declaring judgment on the lands and peoples around Israel. Let's take a look at this slide that we have to help you and summarize the first two chapters of the book of Amos. See, Amos had a repeating theme from each of his prophetic utterances for each of the groups of people that he's talking to. It went something like this. It said, this is what the Lord says. For three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not relent. And then it goes through and Amos specifically says what those sins are and then what the Lord will do to each of these people. While you keep staring at the screen, let me read to you Amos 1, 3 through 5, so you see how Amos does, and then you'll know how he does with each of these groups of people. Amos 1, verse 3 says this. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not relent, because she threshed Gilead with sledges having iron teeth. I will send fire on the house of Hazael that will consume the fortresses of Ben-Hadad. I will break down the gate of Damascus. I will destroy the king who is in the valley of Avon and the one who holds the scepter in Beth Eden. The people of Aram will go into exile to Ker, says the Lord. See, this is the pattern that Amos says each one. So in verse 6, this is what the Lord says about Gaza. Gaza, because you have done these specific sins... I will, as God, bring consuming fire. I will bring destruction. I will bring annihilation. Do you guys see the pattern that this shepherd is laying out as he's giving God's word? See, Amos is speaking to the cities, Damascus, Gaza, Tyre. Then he's speaking to entire people groups, Edom, Ammon, and Moab. And as he's speaking this, he is speaking to these age-old enemies that are surrounding Judah and Israel that are constantly threatening the work of God in the people of God. 
Come on, now think about this. You're surrounded on every side. If you look at the geography of these cities and these people, you see it's the ones that are surrounding God's people, age-old enemies. And that is what Amos is addressing here. But he's got something that he's going to really, really capture God's people, capture their hearts in just a second. So as you're considering these things, when you think about hearing someone declaring what the Lord says in a very predictable pattern of naming the enemies of God, you do something. You start to be able to anticipate what, Mo, what Amos might say next. Does everybody think about that? You're looking at this list of like, okay, so is this it? Is there more? Amos does something that you might not expect when you look at this pattern. And he's effectively addressing the next people group on God's mind. Let's look at this next slide. After addressing the first six surrounding nations, he then goes on to speak to Judah. It's no longer about these ancient, historic, predictable enemies of God that are being addressed. Amos now, seeing a vision, speaking the word of God, he's addressing the very people of God. Let's look at what he says in Amos chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. This is what the Lord says, for three sins of Judah, even for four, I will not relent. Same pattern, right? Because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his decrees. Because they have been led astray by false gods, the gods their ancestors followed. I will send fire on Judah that will consume the fortresses of Jerusalem. So Amos here, directed by God, is using the exact same structure, rhythm, cadence, that is hitting God's people like a cannon shot. The sins of God's people sounded just like the sins of God's enemies at this point. And likewise, so does the judgment that God is prescribing for. If that wasn't jarring enough... Parents, you, when you say something over and over again to drive in the point to your child, we won't talk about when you have to do that with your spouse, just for the little children, of course, in the house. The moment that it changes and you realize that that is now being used on you is something that's very, very powerful. Yeah. As if that wasn't jarring enough, look at what happens next on the slide. Not only did he address Judah in those two verses, but then he turns his attention Amos does, speaking on behalf of God to Israel. See, we've gone from the outer regions and the peoples who are enemies of God to the very heart of God's own people, Israel. When Judah received its tongue lashing, it was two verses long. And that was pretty powerful, like a cannon shot. But Amos is loaded for bear as he specifically and explicitly details the sins of Israel and the crushing judgment that is inevitable. Say it with me, inevitable. inevitable. See, this should remind you of Second Chronicles from our study where there are, there are no, there's a time when there is no remedy. This should remind you of Jeremiah, that the judgment was pronounced was unavoidable. It was inevitable, and it was certain to take place. You, you are now seeing how the faithful judge of all mankind will bring about punishment and judgment for the enemies of God's people, but how he is also and mostly concerned with the sin of his own people. Yes. 
It's one thing to be thinking about everyone else around you. It's another thing when the Lord begins to spin that right back around on you. You can see the errors of your neighbors. You can see the errors of the people that you work with. But then God is trying to most, he is mostly concerned with your heart, with your actions, that you will not be guilty because that, for God's people, produces a crushing judgment with no escape. See, it's easy to pronounce judgments on cities of sin like Damascus or Gaza or Tyre, or the peoples around us. God will, in fact, deal with that, and he starts with that even in the book of Amos. But there's a greater reality here. The real issue is that God is most concerned with the sin in his people. God is most concerned with the sin that is inside of you and me, the ones that he has entrusted with his covenant word. They were chosen, Israel was, to be a light to the Gentiles, a representative of his name, the representative and his very inheritance. That's what God's people were, and this is why he's dealing so sternly with the sin that is there. Look, the promise from the beginning for his chosen people were that they were called to take possession of the land. They were called to inherit what was promised to them. But in order to accomplish this, the promises of God in possession of the land, it required them to do something. It required them to act, to take action, and thereby fulfilling their part of participating in that inheritance. Look, everybody just say with me, God, God is, concerned is concerned about me. About me. So as we're leading up into us, it's not about all the sin of the other nations, the other churches, the other households that surround us. This morning, we're talking to you. This morning, we're leading you on a journey through the book of Amos because it is about you. It's about me. And the whole end goal of what God is aiming at is that there is an inheritance awaiting for you. There's a possession of promises that is on the forefront of what you are to grow into. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Say, there as you're turning. Deuteronomy 30, verse 5. He will, he will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors. And you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. The Lord, your God, will circumcise your hearts. Do you hear the declaration so far of what he will and what you will? And what is being pronounced in this passage is that the Lord, Yahweh, your God, will circumcise your heart. It's inevitable. And it's a promise. He'll not only circumcise your hearts, the passage goes on to say, and the hearts of your descendants. So that, everybody say so that. So that. So that you may love him with all your heart. And with all your soul. And live. That's a very good promise. 
Moses has just clearly laid out the promises for obedience and the curses for disobedience that could be expected for God's people. Here in Deuteronomy 30, he is hearkening back to the promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 17 to give the land of Israel as an eternal possession that was part of the eternal promise given to Abraham and his descendants forever. This promise that was given had a sign attached to it, namely the sign of circumcision. Isn't that what God did in Abraham and his descendants as it related to the promises of what they would possess? And here it's being brought back to their attention. Here Moses is reviving this truth in the people's hearts by clearly connecting the people with the truth that God's promises require actions. And at the beginning of the action, it starts with the circumcision of the heart. Notice here that the Lord your God who will circumcise your hearts and those of your generations so that you can love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and live. Well, that brings us to something this morning. In this journey through the book of Amos, we want you to center your attention on the title of today's sermon. Sign of circumcision. Say it with me. Sign of circumcision. Come on, say that one more time. As you are turning to Joshua chapter 5, sign of circumcision. See, in Joshua 5, the second generation that has come out of Egypt is about to begin their conquest to take possession of the promised land. It's one thing to be promised a land, but then you have to go and take possession of it. The first requirement was the sign of circumcision before they could do that. Look at Joshua 5 and verse 2. It says, at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. It's an interesting thing to be thinking about circumcision again. See, as in the next generation that had yet to be circumcised, they needed to take the action to possess the same sign of circumcision that Abraham had displayed in Genesis 17. Look at verse 5. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died, since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place. Man, what a powerful phrase. And these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised along the way. See, the sons that were raised up in the place of those who were circumcised in their flesh only and who had not been circumcised again in their hearts. See, these sons were to possess and inherit what God had promised. This could not be filled. You cannot receive the promise. They could not receive the promise unless they had the sign of circumcision in their lives. This is further declared in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 9. So as you turn to Jeremiah 9, say, sign of circumcision. Sign of circumcision. Jeremiah 9, we'll pick up in verse 25. It says, the days are coming. Oh, yeah. The days are coming 
declares the Lord, when I will punish all who are circumcised only in the flesh. And look at the nations that he lists in verse 26. Egypt, Judah, Edom, Ammon, Moab. Some similarities to what we read earlier in Amos. And all who live in the wilderness in distant places. For all these nations are really uncircumcised. And even the whole house of Israel is uncircumcised in heart. Look, church, the goal of Amos, the goal of Moses, the goal of Jeremiah and the Lord himself is that you might be a people that have hearts that are circumcised. That you have a supernatural sign that you're able to now go in and possess the very promises of God. But it starts with the sign of circumcision. In Amos, chapters 3 through 6, he's describing the judgment that was due for those who were not circumcised in the heart and who wanted to continue in their hard-hearted rebellion. Chapter 7 then describes what the sovereign Lord showed Amos or what to do about it. Turn with us to Amos chapter 7. We are laying some groundwork here, and you're going to actually realize some things that you have yet to realize, and I can't wait. I can't wait. Amos chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 1. See, Amos here in chapter 7 starts seeing visions. The Lord begins to show him things. Amos 7, 1 says this, this is what the sovereign Lord showed me. He was preparing swarms of locusts after the king's share had been harvested and just as the late crops were coming up. But when they had stripped the land, I'm sorry, when they had stripped the land clean, I cried out, Sovereign Lord, forgive! How can Jacob survive? He's so little. He's so small. <laughs> so the Lord relented. This will not happen, the Lord said. So Amos is seeing something that's about to happen. He cries out and says, please, they're so little. God says, okay, I'll relent. Somebody say warning. Warning. Look at Amos 7 and verse 4. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me. The sovereign Lord was calling for judgment by fire. It dried up the great deep and devoured the land. Then I cried out, sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop. How can Jacob survive? He's so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen either, the Lord said. Somebody say, second warning. Second warning. Let's see the third vision and what happens. In verse 7. This is what the Lord showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb. Not just plumb some but was actually true to plumb, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? A plumb line, he replied. Then the Lord said, look, I am setting a plumb line among my people Israel, and I will spare them no longer. Warning, warning, no warning. There was no warning. There was no relenting. Only the judgment that comes from being measured by the actual standard of God's word. Church, there's no way 
to get around you being measured by the plumb line that is the truth of God's word. God may be able to relent in other areas, but you can rest assured that when he brings out that plumb line, it is for a reason. See, the immediate result of Amos' obedience to declare God's judgment was that he began to get persecuted from his own people. Mm. Now look, we don't want you to forget something. These are visions concerning God's own people, Israel. We have long since left talking about those who are just known to be enemies. We're talking about those who were entrusted with the very words of God. And we're showing the sign that they were not circumcised in heart. These very people of God that were responding in a persecution manner back to Amos. The result of Amos, this man of God, speaking the very words of God to the people of God, it produced persecution from men with uncircumcised hearts. So let's look at chapter 7 of Amos and verse 12. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Get out, you seer. Get out. Go back to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there and do your prophesying there. Don't prophesy anymore at Bethel because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. Look, this guy, Amaziah, his uncircumcised heart showed contempt. That's what this is. And contempt for what exactly? Well, number one, it's contempt for God's word. Number two, contempt for God's prophet that is sharing that word. And he showed contempt for God himself and the very promises that God made to his people. He's effectively saying, get out of here, Amos. Go back, you country bumpkin. Go back, you sheep herder. You're nothing to us. Who are you to speak to us like that, like this? Here in the king's sanctuary, here in the temple of the kingdom, this holy place. Who are you to speak a word about our sin and issue? Come on, isn't that what the enemy always likes to throw at you? Who are you to try to stand up and do this? See, Amos had some holy chutzpah. He had something about him that had a holy savagery in his response, and it's amazing. Look at verse 14. We're going to put this up in the NASB for you on the screen just to help you out so you can see. Amos 7, 14 says, Then Amos replied to Amaziah, I am not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet, for I am a herdsman and a grower of sycamore figs. Grower. What? He is standing here and declaring that he's not a professional prophet. See, what you don't need to hear in that is him apologizing for anything. He has extreme clarity in who he is and what God is saying to him. He said, I'm not a professional prophet. I didn't come from a line of professional prophets. This wasn't self-deprecating, church. He is simply not relying on any pedigree. He's standing confidently on the God who has called him to prophesy. You're seven chapters in. He's seen visions. He's heard oracles. And he has spoken faithfully exactly what God has said. He's declaring that there has been nothing noble about him and himself. But he declares the truth and the clarity of who he is. I am a shepherd. 
I am a grower of sycamore figs. Exciting, right? A shepherd and a fig picker. Amos is highlighting in Amos 1 that he was a herdsman, a shepherd. Now, out of his own mouth, he declares that he is a grower of sycamore figs. That caught our attention. The idea of having a grower of sycamore fig. Really? That's what you're identifying yourself with. We have the Hebrew word for you that we want to show you on the screen. The Hebrew word is balas. It is a verb meaning to gather. Okay, grower, gather. To scratch open. To care for. It describes the process of caring for in the NIV and the New King James. Of gathering in the King James. Or growing sycamore figs like the NASB said. It's the process of scratching or cutting open a sycamore fruit to help it ripen. In this form, it indicates that Amos is one who carried out this procedure. So let me help you to get this, because this is going to change the way that you see Amos. This Hebrew word, balas, is more than just to grow. It's yeah. more than just to care for. It's more than just to gather. This word indicates that for the sycamore fig, it needs help to ripen. Meaning that the fruit cannot ripen at all. Somebody say, at all. At all. This fruit cannot ripen at all without first being cut. This caused us to begin the study to find out all we could about this process to make sure that we were rightly understanding what was being said by Amos and about Amos. We found a published article from Purdue University. Fancy, huh? About the ancient and yet also current process of ripening a sycamore fig. It states that the sycamore fig cannot ripen unless it is cut. You have a fruit that's here and it will not ripen on the tree all by itself. It has to be cut. But when it is cut, it actually ripens after three days. It is cut and then after three days, it comes to full maturity. You're not going to believe some of the other things that we found here. I just want to pause on, on this point real quick. Without this process, without the balas interacting with this fruit, it will not produce anything useful. And literally, it requires help for this fruit. How many of you need help this morning? Amen. Your, your hearts are already getting in the right position. I want to share some further things about this article that we gathered up. This article goes on to illustrate what tools look like that were used in this timely process of this procedure. How about that? You thought the dentist tools looked dangerous. <laughs> this article says uh, that Kemer, the guy who's gathering this information, he quotes an Egyptian farmer on the same subject of sycamore fig trees. Before I began or begin the work of cutting the sycamore figs, first of all, I sharpened two similar knives. Then I climb the tree. As there are innumerable fruit on the tree, 
And here's the important point. I must work quickly. I take, therefore, a knife in each hand. That is when the form of the branch offers sufficient hold. So notice the tools used to cut the sycamore figs that are displayed on the left-hand side of the screen. I would say that those tools aren't just for cutting. I would say they're used for circumcising, for implementing the sign of circumcision. The man who has to be circumcising the fruit, he declares, this Egyptian farmer declares that he must work quickly. Why? There's a lot of fruit, and each and every one of them must be circumcised immediately because now is the time for it to grow into maturity. It's to help the fruit ripen. He is so intent on working, he has a knife in each hand. It must mean that he has really good footing. Much like the sycamore fig, the uncircumcised heart is incapable of ripening on its own. It must have the sharp tool in the hand of the balas to circumcise it at the appointed time. Not too early, not too late, otherwise you have useless fruit, but at the appointed time. See, there's an appointed time for one uncircumcised heart to, to meet a divine balas. Turn with us to Luke chapter 19. You're going to see a familiar story in a whole different light. Luke chapter 19, and we're going to begin in verse 1. Somebody say, sign of circumcision as you're turning. Luke 19.1 says this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. See, notice here that Jesus entered a city and to a people group who had been consistently standing in opposition to God at Jericho. Jesus was only intending to pass through. Jesus entered and was passing through, meaning that there was a very short window of time for him to engage its inhabitants. According to Bible lexicons, including the complete word study dictionary of the New Testament, Zacchaeus' name means pure. The name Zacchaeus means pure. But evaluating his place as a chief tax collector and his wealthy status, I mean, it was part of Jewish understanding that if you had a publican or a tax collector, they were the chief among the sinners. So he was the chief tax collector. It's going to be easy for us to, in, uh, for us to deduce that he was anything but pure. In fact, he was a man who had an uncircumcised heart. Let's go to verse 3. Read how this continues. He wanted to see who Jesus was. Hmm. But because he was short, not short on change, short on stature. Because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Climbed up the tree. Since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, 
Which, by the way, that was probably the first time ever in Zacchaeus' life that someone looked up to talk to him. <laughs> he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Do you hear the urgency in this? The timeliness, taking advantage of the spot and the appointed time to be circumcised. He not only tells him, come down immediately, he says, I must stay at your house today. We're talking about him climbing into a sycamore fig tree. The very tree that we just studied that required a balas to reach up and quickly circumcise its fruit. What does the sign of circumcision look like? It looks like immediate action and immediate results. In verse 5, it says that Jesus reached the spot, meaning the appointed time, the appointed place, ordained by the Father to circumcise this man's heart. He worked quickly with one phrase that's just been wrecking me. Come down immediately. Don't waste any time. He is beginning the process of transformation for this man. Look, also note that after he says this, like we noted earlier, I must stay in your house. You know what this really is? I must invade your personal space. I have to invade your privacy, all these hidden areas, in order to give you this sign of circumcision. You want a litmus test of how uncircumcised your heart really is? How far do you hold the people of God and the prophets of God at a distance? Do you just show up in here and smile and meet and greet and then retreat back to your hole where nobody can see exactly what condition your heart's in? Or are you coming down out of that tree immediately? Are you letting these words and the words that we have said over and over again come into the recesses of the deep places of your heart and your home so that something can happen? Transformation can happen. Don't just show up and listen. Do something about it. Come on now. See, you thought Zacchaeus climbed the tree because he needed to get a little bit taller. But what he did was he identified himself as uncircumcised fruit. And Jesus, that great shepherd and balas, reached up right there on the spot and took quick action and circumcised Zacchaeus' heart. Look at how he responded in verse 6. So he came down at once came down at once. All the people saw this and began to mutter, "Um, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. See, the immediate obedience of Zacchaeus was evidence of the beginning of the circumcision process in his own heart. Simultaneously, all the other people around who saw this began to mutter complaints and accusation about Jesus, just as it happened in Amos' day. Remember, he began to speak in Amos' day, and immediately there was opposition. That's exactly what happens, because that's what this process looks like. Look at verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, 
here and now. I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, that's one of my favorite prayers, by the way. Lord, if I have cheated anyone, more certainly you did. <laughs> You're the chief tax? Okay. If I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. The evidence of real circumcision of the heart for Zacchaeus and for you is always visible, yeah. tangible, and immediate. See, Zacchaeus responds by saying, here and now. Unprompted, unsolicited. He hears Jesus' words. He climbs down saying, I know what I got to do right now. Here and now. See, that urgency that Jesus addresses him with is now being replayed and replied to by Zacchaeus in the same kind of urgency. Here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor. Let's just start out by cutting my bank account and my net value in half. Yeah. Here and now, I'll pay back four times the amount of the amounts that I've cheated people on. See, Levitical law in both Leviticus and Numbers required him to pay back and add a fifth, add 20% to it. But Zacchaeus is offering to pay back 400% because of the evidence of circumcision actually taking, full, taking place in his heart. Another way of saying it is that there is a sign of circumcision. There's the evidence of his immediate action and fruit. Let's continue in verse 9 of this passage. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. Why did Jesus say son of Abraham? Could it be that Zacchaeus now possessed the sign of circumcision? The same sign that Abraham did? Enable him to participate in the same promises that were given to Abraham. And he's acting like a true son of Abraham for the very first time in his whole life. Getting back to a state of being pure, like his name was. True circumcision of the heart produces immediate growth. And it ensures the promise of becoming even more fruitful. Let me show you what this looks like for a sycamore fig. As you look at this picture, on the left is a typical uncircumcised sycamore fig. This is Zacchaeus prior to meeting Jesus. This one on the far left, this uncircumcised sycamore fig, it's inedible. It's got a hard shell around it. It's full of bitterness and can even be poisonous to you. It's essentially a useless crop. But as you can see in the picture, it doesn't stay that way. So the one in the center is immediately after the circumcision of the balas. Immediately after, this is what begins to happen. This is what Zacchaeus' heart must have looked like when Jesus speaks to him there with the immediacy, with the urgency, while he is still in the tree. See, there is immediate evidence of transformation in the sycamore fig. A tangible sign that true circumcision has occurred. 
but there's even more growth to come. This is the same fruit in each of these three pictures that have just been time delayed. After the cut, and then after three days later, you see the final one there on the right. Between the second and the third picture, between the center and the right, is after three days of this process. After the distance between life and death. It's also the distance between the circumcision and the real supernatural growth that occurs in someone's life. Man, what does it mean for us when every time we're circumcised, we start to push away? We don't even give it the time to actually produce what it's supposed to produce in us. By the way, in the Purdue University art article, they measured the growth that happened over hundreds and thousands of fruit. They said that the fruit after this circumcision process grows seven times as large as it does without circumcision. After three days, it gets seven times the growth. You, you can't make this stuff up. This is what happens when true circumcision takes place in our hearts. There is a cutting that goes on and after a time of life and death, after a time of actual supernatural growth, then you become worthy of the kingdom that you are now a part of. We'll make sure we, we don't miss this real quick. When we talk about this message tonight, tomorrow, next week, we don't want you just to remember a really cool picture about sycamore figs. I was really good about sycamore figs. I was very well educated about that. <laughs> this is your heart whenever you undergo the sign of circumcision. It's about you. Signs that after three days of growth from that sign of circumcision, there is tangible and ongoing evidence of hope, of, of growth. You know, this should, it should give you hope. It should create in you a desire to act immediately and love the very process of being circumcised. Because you know what it will produce. It's a guarantee. It's a promise. It produces in you a ripened and mature fruit that is now edible. It's now sweet. And it's now in abundance. And not for you. For others. Amen. It's about producing the fruit that others can partake of. Now they can ingest it. Now it's a pleasing aroma. Now it is of an abundance that can feed many. Let's go back to Amos 7 and look at verse 14 again in the NASB to see how this was displayed. Then Amos replied to Amaziah, I'm not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet, for I am a herdsman. Anna Balas, a grower of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. Church, the evidence of immediate growth and transformation in Amos was because he was first circumcised in the word that came to him. That was demonstrated by his immediate obedience to go prophesy to God's people so that their hearts would be circumcised just as he was. See, we know that they rejected it, they failed to be circumcised because in the very next chapter of Amos, in chapter 8, they began to experience the famine of hearing God's words. 
See, but obedience is displayed in our lives. And when obedience is displayed, it is something sweet, especially since it's not something that any of us were professionally trained for. Bearing fruit in the kingdom, none of us can say that we were a prophet or the son of a prophet. But it is, but the supernatural product is what is received by the circumcision of our hearts. Yeah. We weren't professionally trained. We've just been circumcised in our heart and the supernatural growth has taken place. The Lord took hold of Amos, spoke to him, and that's what made Amos qualified and that's what makes you qualified. Look at this slide one more time. Church, this is the predictable result of allowing the circumcision of your heart. In every area that you want to be fruitful. Yeah. For every bit of fruit in your life, it must be circumcised so that it begins to grow and becomes edible. It becomes sweet. It becomes abundant. It becomes supernatural. For every piece of your life. For everything that is going to be worth something for the kingdom. It cannot do it without this process. It can only do it through the circumcision of the heart. So this caused personal reflection for me. Just studying this matter and looking back. A couple of things that I found. Number one, when the Lord really took hold of me, when he spoke to me, when he marked me with the sign of circumcision, he qualified me. He made me able to do that which I could not do myself. He continually circumcises my heart so that I can produce what is actually edible for others. I can produce that fruit that has a sweet and aromatic fragrance to the Lord and those that actually love him. And it can result in an abundant harvest of righteousness that is useful, edible, and actually nourishing other people. It's not wax fruit. But here's some deeper introspection. When I look at my life, this has been true of every season of fruitfulness the Lord has brought me and my family through. The most important season to highlight is the one that I am in right now. It, it's evident. There are new areas of growth and fruitfulness in my life that show great potential. But they require circumcision to fully mature. This requirement directly addresses my own propensity to be self-contained and operate in the uncircumcised shell of my own thinking and my own strength. My thoughts are this. I'm called to be more than I currently am. Therefore, I must seek first my own strength to manifest this maturity. This is you. I know you and I can sense it. I can hear the echoes of what you say in your very own hearts and have never uttered with your mouth. What you said, what I said is essentially this. Jesus, I trust the fruitfulness of my own hands more than yours. I seek first my own personal enrichment. I seek first my own prideful pursuits. And only 
when that does not produce what is needed, then I will look to you. Instead of seeking him first, you seek him last. No wonder everything is not being added to you and the righteousness that ensues. Look, in, in this state, I'm all the while unaware of the cause of the inedible fruit and the bitter frustrations that fill my efforts to try and feed others. That should be an immediate indicator that circumcision needs to happen. What I'm becoming more aware of in a greater fashion is my need for ongoing circumcision because there is ongoing fruitfulness. The evidence of growth in my walk, in my marriage, in my family is the reason my family and I should find the joy of seeking out circumcision. The greater level of joy is that when the ripened fruit of my life has rightly been engaged with the balas of my soul, I can look forward to the next season of fruitfulness because now I know what to expect. I can know with greater certainty that the works of his hands on our hearts are exactly what Psalm 111 verse 7 says. I was reading that this week. Let me read it to you. The works of his hands are faithful. Just, I mean, just, just contemplate that. The works of his hands on your heart with the sign of circumcision are faithful and just. No wrong can be attributed to him and his hands doing this. All his precepts, meaning all his ordained steps and order, are trustworthy. Lord, you're taking me from this season to that, the next season. There will be more fruit, but there's also an ongoing sign of circumcision. Yes, I trust it wholeheartedly. I will not question it one bit. I am emptied of my own pursuits and strength because you are all that I need. Church, are you hearing the practical ways of the necessity of circumcision in our heart? <laughs> These sycamore fig trees can actually produce six or seven rounds of fruit every year. And every piece of fruit has to be cut in each of those cycles. Let me tell you about a little bit of the circumcision of my own heart lately. I've been coming face to face with my own over-evaluation of my state. Thinking that I'm doing better than I actually am. This kind of pride, everybody say pride. pride. By the way, you don't have a problem with self-deprecation. You don't have a problem with thinking too lowly of yourself. Your issue is you think too highly of yourself. You know how I know that? Because that's what the Lord has been circumcising in my heart. You're not self-deprecating. You're actually prideful and you're fearful and it's crushing you. Oh, I don't know if I can. Stop thinking so much about yourself and realize that God has given you a process to become what you're supposed to be. Amen. Oh, yeah, the process won't work for you. It works for everyone else in the world, but not you. How is that not prideful? How is that not fearful? How is that not faithless? Shocked every time we have to be corrected again. Shocked every time another piece of fruit has to be circumcised. Oh, I can't believe it. That's because you're prideful. It's 
because I've been prideful. The Lord has circumcised my heart from 2 Timothy 2.15. You heard me close last Sunday's message. Do you know why? Because he was cutting my heart with this passage. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Spudazo. You know what I'm figuring out? I can't fix it. Unless the circumcision process happens, I will not produce what I'm supposed to. I'm going to spudazo to present myself to the balas that he might cut my heart so I can be supernaturally transformed. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A workman who does not need to be ashamed. You know how I know that God is actually circumcising my heart? I mean, not like 20 years ago. I mean in the month of February of 2022. You know how I know? Because I am now conquering, not just perpetually wrestling thoughts that I've had. You are seeing a different Wade Sutherland before you. I've had enough of feeling embarrassed that I need to be cut. I'm running towards and saying, yes, this is what I need. I am unashamed of what God is doing in me because I've learned that this process is the only way for supernatural growth to happen. Insecurities are being cut away from me. And I don't just mean a little bit. I mean like permanently. I mean like they're not there anymore. As of February of 2022. Who correctly handles the word of truth. The word for correctly handles is orthotomeo, which means to cut straight. A derivative of that word in the Greek, please look it up, vines, complete word study, right there. A derivative of this in the Greek is to circumcise. I didn't know that, but I knew that he was cutting my heart with it. I knew that he was doing something. He's making my life more fruitful. He's making my life sweeter. He's making me actually be productive in ways that I never have before. This is what the circumcision process has done in us. Look what happened in Pastor Wade in just three days. Come on. That's true. He blew up, man. Seven times the man that he was just three days ago. That's him. What about you? What must circumcision do for you today? Circumcision that is a sign, cuts through the callousness of pride in you, so it can produce the abundant fruitfulness that comes through no other way. What must circumcision do for you today? It must transform the bitter and poisonous nature of your speech. Because the sharp double-edged word is now being applied to your heart. Making your bitter heart sweet. Making your speech actually something that builds up rather than tears down. What must the sign of circumcision do for you today? It must open you up to more than just self-contained, 
personal enrichment. Hear me clear. Those of you who just come to sit and soak and observe and privately try to perfect. That's operating in the hard shell of an uncircumcised heart. And what must circumcision do for you today is cut you so that you can have supernatural transformation that results in something seven times what originally was and is actually edible and abundant for others. This was the entire aim of God telling Amos, go prophesy. Go bring my word. Go represent me. I am aiming at their hearts because I want them to become more fruitful. So let's all turn to Amos chapter 9 in verse 13. In our last few minutes together, as I'm looking out, I'm going to ask that you rouse yourselves in your hearts here. That you not let distractions be upon us because we need to have the circumcision of our hearts done today in a significant kind of way. Amos has been faithful to speak exactly what God has shown him or said to him. And in Amos 9, listen to the powerful words that Amos shares. Amos 9:13 The days are coming declares the Lord when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes new wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills and I will bring my people Israel back from exile they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them they will plant vineyards and drink their wine they will make gardens and eat their fruit I will plant Israel in their own land never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them says the Lord your God. The purpose of Amos' prophecies to the people of God was that they would have their hearts continually circumcised so that they would produce the fruit of righteousness that would be edible, it would be sweet, and it would be abundant for all the nations of the world. This abundance is seen in verse 13. The harvesters being overtaken by the ones preparing the soil for the next crop being so fruitful that the next cycle, they're actually kind of running into each other because it's been so fruitful. The one sowing the seed for the new harvest, being overtaken by the one still treading out the grapes. There would be a perpetual abundance of fruit once their hearts had been circumcised and they would know with certainty about the days that are coming. This is the attitude that you are to have when your heart is experiencing ongoing circumcision. In every season, for every fruit of your life, you need to say that the days are coming of edible, sweet, abundant harvest for my life. This is what the process is and will produce. Consider this incredible promise that Amos has here at the end of of his work prior to Israel entering into captivity. God is promising them through his circumcised son Amos to bring his people back to plant them, make them prosper because God is faithful to his word and he will circumcise their hearts and the hearts of their descendants just like he promised through Moses. So let me ask you something. Has the Lord taken hold of you like he took hold of Amos? Has he circumcised your heart with his word or have you avoided this process altogether? It's a real honest assessment. And here, here's, here's how you can measure that. 
Do you gather in the cluster of this congregation to appear as one circumcised in heart? But the truth is, you've been avoiding the personal cutting from the hand of God the whole time. Making excuses of how this doesn't apply to you, how it may apply to others. Or we're just too intense as a church. And need to be more delicate, compassionate, not be so aggressive. Are you comfortable following a structure but avoid of the immediate actions that are produced through the transformation of circumcision? These are some real questions that you got to be wrestling with. Because God wants the sign of circumcision in you. I want to show you another slide here that is the end of the article that we've been gleaning some of this information. It's amazing that the very ancient horticultural practice of fruit circumcision should have survived seemingly without change up to the present time, the more so in view of the hard and even hazardous labor that's involved in it. This is not a process for the faint of heart. This is not an easy thing for a balas to continually do on every piece of fruit. Is it not a behavioral relic of ancient times? An ancient path that God has shown us here today? An archaeological remain involving action rather than structure. Woo! See, man's heart has always been intended for circumcision. A circumcision involving immediate action rather than just structure or even liturgy. Not just a means of showing up gathering, going home unchanged, untransformed, uncircumcised, or even just structurally reading the word each day, but it never affecting your heart through circumcision. Let's show you what this looks like. Next slide. Look at all those figs. Look at all those figs. Can you see the sign of circumcision on them? I mean, they have rapid growth, supernatural growth. They're filled with a sweet fruit and aroma that's pleasing. And in short order, they're going to be ripe for the abundant harvest. But there's something more. There's one thing in this picture that you may not have seen yet. Man, when I first saw this, I thought about LCM. I, saw, I thought about fruitful people, but we want to draw your attention not to the ones who have been circumcised. We want you to pay attention to the ones who have not. You see that guy right there? On the tree. Everyone else around being circumcised. You know how you know that that one is not? Because there's no growth. Do you see it now? Do you see the one who's actually showing no sign of circumcision? Significantly undersized. No evidence of the supernatural growth that comes from the sign of circumcision? We're saying that this is you. Let's be more direct with the you that we're speaking to. We're speaking to you who have never experienced circumcision in your own heart that brings about supernatural transformation. And assess your condition like this. You come, you hang around others who have been circumcised. There's even a sense of an affinity, a liking. 
that you have to who we are, but there is zero evidence that you have been supernaturally transformed. When we preach, you don't get it. When we teach, you don't apply it. There's no evidence of actually possessing the sign of circumcision. Evaluate the the true state of your heart in comparison to what we've been preaching the whole time. This, this is you. There's another specific group of people that we're speaking to today. We're speaking to you. You who have said in your own heart, I just can't be what you guys are. I've shown signs of some growth, signs of fruitfulness, but I can't grow in the supernatural abundance that you say that I can. Our hope is that in this moment, you're actually beginning to ask the right question. Brothers, pastors, what shall we do? I really do hope that that question is coming up in your heart. Because God's putting the red circle right around you. What you must do in this moment is going to require some holy chutzpah. You take an honest assessment of where you stand with God. Are you the one that has not experienced circumcision at all? The thing to do is to come down. Come down immediately to this altar. And I don't mean waiting until we pray. I'm calling it now. Do you have the courage to honestly assess where you're at with God? Because now's the appointed time. Now's the appointed time that circumcision, if you've never experienced it at all, ever, come down immediately. Are you the one who said the specific phrase, I can't be what you are? Get down here immediately. Don't wait. Don't contemplate. Don't deliberate. Come down immediately and be circumcised. For the rest of you guys, we ask that you stay right where you are and ask God to reveal the fruitful areas of your life that require ongoing circumcision so the harvest of your life will be edible, sweet, and abundant. Let's begin to pray as you stand to your feet. Mighty God, we thank you. We thank you for your works that are faithful and just. How everything that you do and order in our lives is trustworthy. No one or nothing has the right to show you or your word contempt. And we thank you for bringing us into right order with you and with our brothers this morning. Lord, I cry out. May the hardened hearts in this room that cannot see themselves rightly have their eyes open to their condition. Lord, I pray that they do not waste their life and their time passing this appointed moment up. Lord, they come down immediately and let you invade their personal space. You have invested so much to preserve their life and you desire a fruitful return. In Jesus' name.